Looking to get out of the ads and back to the story? Fable and Folly Plus is a new way to support the creators you love. The podcast you're listening to right now and more than 60 others can be heard ad-free for as little as $4 a month by visiting fableandfolly.com slash plus. And now, Fox and Stallion is offering special director's commentary to all Fable and Folly Plus supporters, still entirely ad-free. Fable and Folly Plus. Sign up today at fableandfolly.com slash plus. Stallion Season 1 Actor Q&A. I am Lauren, co-producer, co-writer, co-director, etc. of Fox and Stallion, joined by my co- all of those things, Ian Gears. How are you doing, Ian? Doing awesome right now. <laughs> Honestly, the best I've ever been. So, we got so many amazing questions for this Q&A. Frankly, far more than we were expecting, uh, right there at the home stretch of us asking for your questions. So we have actually split this Q&A into two separate Q&As. Ian and I will be talking about some of the writing-based questions. And this Q&A is for our amazing cast of voice actors. We have three of our fantastic voice cast that have joined us to answer your questions today. Yeah, a two-in-day, if you will, because we'll have two Q&As. So this first one is Lawrence. <laughs> I, I won't. <laughs> You're contractually obligated to be here. <laughs> we're gonna go around and introduce ourselves right now. Um, first, we're just gonna we're gonna go around. We're gonna go old school for this. We're gonna sorry. Our cat I- is sneezing his ass off. I'm vamping. Oh, just I'm trying gorgeous. to get him to stop. This is. We te- uh, yeah, we technically Hello, have um, yeah we have four voice actors here today. Actually, the uh, the cat that you hear sneezing. <laughs> Continually in the background is uh, is Lewin, who plays Ambrosius, and uh, and he's just ready to, to answer some of your questions. Um, yeah. We think he's wrapping up. All right, good. I think he's wrapping up. So what we're going to do is we're going to go around, we're going to ask for just your name, the character you play, your pronouns, and um, how your character would take their tea. Which was one of our lovely questions. Great start question. Us off as an icebreaker. Yeah. So why don't we start off, I'll start off just so I can do the embarrassing answers and stuff first so you can feel better about saying whatever it is you want to say. Um, my name's Ian, <laughs> my pronouns are he, him, his. What, yeah, your last and, name is Ian Gears. Yeah, Ian Gears, that's the full one. Uh, and I don't play any character, I play McMurphy on the you show, do. that's wrong. You I play McMurphy. literally do. Um, but I also, uh, I, am, I am Lauren's co-writer, co-director, co-everything else, uh, and I take my t- McMurphy takes his tea honestly it is a cold glass of whole milk no yeah it is a cold glass of whole milk that he drinks in a mug to sugar, make it look no like sugar what are we what are we talking I think once he found out sugar was an option the world grew five sizes <laughs> <laughs> um great we'll throw it over to Jeremy uh, hello, my name is Jeremy Thompson he him his I play Hampton Fox and I have this feeling that Hampton takes his tea with as much in it as possible. I think mm. Hampton I think Hampton knows that two is the acceptable uh, number of sugars in his tea, <laughs> but he like sneaks more in there when no one's looking. Uh, probably I do that with pumps of caramel in my iced coffee at Dunkin'. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I know they put six in it. I'm just not telling them not to. Hampton is the Leslie Nope of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there's probably a lemon wedge just for flair. And maybe a cinnamon stick, too. I think it's gaudy and terrible. 
<laughs> He's a real maximalist in, in every way. That's yes. fantastic. Uh, Chris. Yes, hello. Uh, my name is Christopher Vizaraga. Um, he, him, his. I play James Stallion. And uh, I believe that James takes his tea. It depends on time of day. Yeah. I think, first, I think first thing in the morning, it's completely different than how it is in the afternoon versus how it is in the evening. In the evening, it's just it could just be whiskey. And uh, <laughs> whiskey with lemon and a little bit of tea. And I think in the morning, a uh, little bit of milk and I think one sugar. I think that's about Ooh. all that he, that he allows yeah. for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he can taste it if there's any more than one in there. Yeah. I get that. Very particular. <laughs> uh, Katie. Uh, hi, I'm Katie McLean Hainsworth, and I play Madge Stallion. And I think Madge takes her tea uh, one of two ways, either black or with gin. It is not dependent upon the time of day. <laughs> it is just dependent on the situation, who she's with, what's happening. Mood. Um, that brings new meaning to the term G and T. Yes. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Because the T now stands oh, for T. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it took me a second, but I got there. I got there. <laughs> Lauren? <laughs> uh, hi. Uh, my name is Lauren Grace Thompson. Uh, I also play Sarah on the show. Uh, she, her pronouns. And I think Sarah is just the strongest tea you can make. One sugar. Black. <laughs> okay. Like no milk. Yeah. She's just got to get through the day. I think she works like six jobs. Oh, yeah. No, I get that. And she's just like, I'll find pleasure in other ways. This is purely functional. Won't we all? Yeah. That's great. Now we know everyone. Now we know everyone's particular tea orders. And that's really the only question we got. So good night, everyone. Oh, great. Well, this was fantastic. Thanks, everybody. This has been awesome. Thank you to our fans. Yeah, we'll Um, see you in season two. Uh, A fan who submitted one question. Fan, one question submitted anonymously. Thank you. AKA Hainsworth, who's in the show. Oh, All right, great. Yeah, look, we're going to dive into some questions now. Lauren, you have our first one? I have our first question from someone named Sarah. This is, for whoever wants to answer, what is your favorite Sherlock Holmes story, if you have one, I assume? There may be some people who have never read any of the stories. Katie, it looks like you have your hand up. I have read all of the stories, uh, and and I and it's a cliche, but I, I really like the Speckled Band. What? Um, Twins! <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got a snake in it. So, like, fuck it. That's the best one by far, just for that reason. I knew I liked you for a reason, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also, Katie, can you, just complete side note, really quickly, can you tell us, you, was there a project that you did that (laughs) research for that you would like to Uh, to share with the group? (laughs) uh, This speaks to another question that's coming up about our favorite adaptation of Holmes, I'm contractually obligated to say that my favorite adaptation of Holmes is Christopher M. Walsh's Miss Holmes and Miss Holmes Returns, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is a series mm-hmm. of plays, uh, because I played Sherlock Holmes in those plays in which everything is the same except Holmes and Watson are women. And uh, so to prepare for that role the first time in, uh, for the first time in 2016, I read and annotated every single story. I have the big compilation of of Sherlock Holmes you know just the hardcover thing and I read all 1200 pages and wrote down anytime uh, there was a characteristic about Holmes expressed or spoken of by someone else or or internally thought of I have a notebook in my in my 
this is embarrassing. So that's really why Hampton I, Fox I've read energy. all the really? things. Yes, yes, slight Hampton Fox energy. It's not embarrassing at all. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. That you is... were also awesome in that show. Thank you. Yeah. And then Chris, it looks like you have an answer too. Yeah. Um, so on a related note, I've also played Sherlock Holmes in a, a staged reading of what? Of, of a new work um, back in, I think, I believe it was 2020. It was the first year of the pandemic. Um, and it, the play was called Prima Donna, and it's it's the Irene Adler story told from Irene Adler's perspective. So it's her it's her story for the first half, and then Act Two, it splits between Irene Adler and Sherlock Holmes, and the story that's in uh, I, I think it's Bel- Belgravia, a scandal in Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Which everyone, oh my god! Yeah. yeah, so that was really fun. That was one of the first pandemic projects that I did was that play reading, and I got to play Holmes. That's amazing. What's your favorite Holmes adaptation? Or not adaptation, what's your favorite story in the canon? It's de- Yeah, it's definitely the Irene Adler story. It's, it's just, it's just nice. fantastic. Fantastic. It's a good one. And then, Jeremy, do you have an answer since you're, I'm realizing you're the only member of this trio that has not played Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> this casting could not have gone better for I us. would also <laughs> like to point out that we didn't know about any of this before we cast Katie or Chris. <laughs> We knew about Katie. We knew about Katie. We didn't know it was coming back. It'd be great if I had a real surprise for you, but I have not played Sherlock Holmes. Uh, so yeah, that's that's uh, the one I've missed. Um, I uh, When I was a kid, my dad read my sister and I, uh, Hound of the Baskervilles, as a bedtime story, uh, sort of as an introduction to the characters. And then I've, I've uh, you know, found little bits here and there, but um, uh, a couple months ago, I, I picked up uh, a copy of the complete Sherlock Holmes, like part one, started reading through them. And I have to give a shout out to the very first story to a study in Scarlet. Um, because I was, uh, I was out working for the Utah Shakespeare festival and I sort of knew this, but I didn't know how hard it goes into the Utah angle in the second half of a study in Scarlet. You leave Watson's narrative entirely you follow someone completely different uh, with Brigham Young literally arriving in Salt Lake City <laughs> and rescuing this pioneer. And the entire second half of the book goes very under the banner of heaven and into like murder Mormon territory. And it's wildly outlandish, but not entirely inaccurate. It's very strange. And then it turns back. Um, but I also really loved it because it is Holmes and Watson kind of at the point where Hampton and James and Madge are, where they're unknown, they get no credit at the end. (laughs) Uh, Scotland Yard takes all the credit. They don't really care. Um, And it also really gave me new respect, speaking of adaptations, for the Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law adaptations, because it is very, very silly. And actually, the more I read the more respect I had for those movies, at least on a tonal, maybe not on a writing uh, uh, score, but on a, on a tonal Take score. Take it back, Jeremy. <laughs> you don't believe Jared Harris could be a boxing champion? Look, those, those are also the ones that whenever I'm looking for something to just throw on while I'm packing or cleaning or doing something else, I can throw on either of those movies and I just love having them on in the background. And I think they're, uh, they're I watch the BBC Sherlock when I need something on in the background. Sorry, yeah. Lauren. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can transfer right into the next question, which is, are you all Holmes fans and what's your favorite adaptation? We've already kind of kind of been talking about that, Mm -hmm. about the Robert Denny Jr. version and, 
you know, the BBC version kind of took over my life for a series of about four years. I've been very open about that. That's the whole thing. Um, Ian, do you do you have a favorite story or a favorite adaptation that you would like to talk about? Um, one of the stories, uh, I when we were first writing the series, you and I watched a lot of the Jeremy Brett, mm-hmm. uh, the Granada Holmes. Which uh, is my favorite adaptation. Yeah. Hands down, it's not even close. And... I just remember the only one of the books or of the of the stories that is really that really stuck with me from when I was a kid reading it, even though I'd, I've read quite a few of them, was uh, the Dancing Men, mm. and and I just love chalk drawings, and that's the main reason I like that <laughs> one. Um, but no, I just you really like that codes one. and ciphers. I like codes. I like ciphers. Big fan of the movie Zodiac. Um, not the actions <laughs> of the killer. Uh, um, I would also say, um, <laughs> in terms of adaptations, that kind of served as inspiration for this. Uh, the Great Mouse Detective is one that I've always loved mm-hmm. that I have, like, I've just seen a ton. But mm-hmm. Scooby-Doo is ob- is a huge reference point for me as well. And I don't think, you obviously don't get Scooby-Doo without Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. And so we're kind of just like, you know, when you put an adaptation through an adaptation machine, through an adaptation machine, through an adaptation machine, essentially what we're getting are just like some really great bare, min- bare ingredients that we can use yeah. to create a similar kind of flavored dish. I think that's really interesting because I think like the, the Scooby-Doo-ness of it is is interesting in that like Katie already mentioned the Speckled Band, but that's like my mom used to read me the stories before bed. I mean, mm-hmm. she would read Sherlock Holmes and she would read um, Nancy Drew uh, as well, like my bedtime stories. And I think there's something about Speckled Band. I know a lot of people who read it as kids remember that story because like there's just a a vivid imagery of it and like such a tangible feeling. And so much of that is just like, we're waiting for something to happen in this creepy house. And yeah. I think that that's something that like that mood carried on to like the Scooby-Doo type things. And it's, it's very fun. Does anyone else have anything about their favorite adaptation? Katie? Yeah. I want to give a shout out to Neil Gaiman's adaptation of study in Emerald. I don't know yeah. where you get it now. I read it online like 20 years ago or it's something. It's available I... in like some compilation. Yeah. It's novels. a great, great homage with a great twist at the end and it it weaves in you know cthulhu and horror whatever you want to call that weird horror uh aspect of it if you haven't read that one that's i highly recommend very fun that's awesome i want to give one last shout out one of my favorite not not even a sherlock adaptation an arthur conan doyle adaptation Mm -hmm. i want to give a huge shout out to the 2003 film shanghai nights where Arthur Conan Doyle is a member of Scotland Yard that's assigned to Jackie Chan's case. And at the end, they convince him. He goes by Artie in the movie. At the end, they convince him to take down his stories and write books. And then we get the reveal that he's Arthur Conan Doyle. And I, I will say it's stupid. A twist stupid. that I called. Oh, yeah. that was I saw that movie when I was like 10 or 11. I had never seen it before. And I said, that motherfucker's Arthur Conan Doyle. I feel like I've seen that, but I don't remember that part. That feels wrong. That shit has stuck with me ever since. <laughs> oh, uh, the amazing. 7% solution with the guy who plays Merlin from Excalibur playing Sherlock and, and Alan Arkin playing... Um, uh, uh, Moriarty? Freud. Oh, great. <laughs> trying to get him uh, off cocaine. Can't remember who. I think it might be John Voight plays, uh, or Robert Duvall plays Watson in that one. I just think it's hilarious that we have spent the first 10 minutes of our Q&A talking about this motherfucker Sherlock Holmes. Uh, yeah, fuck this guy. He's not even in this no, show. Next the question. <laughs> he's technically in our show, but very briefly. Um, all right, so now on to our show. <laughs> <laughs> for whoever wants to answer, uh, this is also from Sarah. Which season one scene were you most excited to hear come together in the final cut? 
Um, so this can be for us as creatives or for you as actors, stuff you, you wanted to hear your fellow actors do or stuff you wanted to hear the music or the sound design. Jeremy? Uh, I have to say that in reading it and recording it, I was so excited and so thrilled to finally hear the lava pit scene come together. (laughs) There is so much (laughs) happening at the same time. There's the mechanics of the pit. There's the conversation in the stands. There's the the private voice and public voice that both uh, James and Hampton are using during that fight. And to hear the whole thing come together over the cliffhanger for one episode and the beginning of the next one was just wild. That was a, a monster of a sequence because I think we recorded that because there's so many people in the scene. That was, I think, like six different recording sessions. Yeah. Plus, like, basically everyone in the entire cast at the end of their final session basically came in and did crowd noises for that. We had a list of crowd noises that we needed. We had amazing music from our our music uh, designer, Baldemar. And then, of course, our fantastic... Yeah, Sarah Baczynski, our sound designer. Our sound designer who is... Who just absolutely killed it. Who, like, truly turned that around so quickly and also was, like, making making Foley sounds herself to, like, make that come together and really, like, made it sound like magic. Yeah, really made a pit. Really (laughs) made a drawbridge that would open up over the pit. Yeah. It was nuts. <laughs> I remember when Ian like pitched that sequence and I was just like, it's going to be a fucking disaster in post-production. But if it can sound good, it'll be great. I think it, I thought that was Oh, great. It, t- it turned out fantastic. <laughs> I also wanted to know how that would sound. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all were great. Because again, that was recorded in so many different sessions that just like, it yeah. was, it was great. You, you all just gave us so many options to be able to stitch it together. Yeah. I was excited to hear the, the Madge and Hampton come to Jesus uh, intercut with um, James and Archie in, in episode eight. I was very excited for episode eight. Yeah. yeah. Episode eight really, I, I, I told Lauren this so many times over the course of doing it, not to pat you on the back too much, but genuinely it was like every time I heard a cut of an episode, I was like, this is our best one. And it just kept <laughs> happening over and I was like, honestly, this is our best one. And it just became fact, but genuinely the, the episode eight was something that really that was a lot of, that was your idea and a lot of it was your, your words and your dialogue and and i thought it came together it was yeah it was a big turn into kind of a different like more sincere energy that i think was a little bit of a leap and i and that really comes down to y'all's acting that that made it and so beautiful and we really went out of our way to like do the covid tests and do and get the studio so that y'all could be in rooms together speaking to each other face to face for those sequences and i think that that investment really paid off and you can you can tell that those were people in a room together breathing together and like mm-hmm. experiencing that together i think before you cast me i sent you a note about that monologue at the bottom of page whatever uh because i wanted to make sure it didn't get cut <laughs> I, think I think what's really funny about that is that we did we did readings of like the whole show technically before we like officially cast it but I think all, all three of you were part of that reading, and it was mm-hmm. just like you were already cast. Like, we got our first <laughs> you didn't picks for every character. Yeah, like, <laughs> genuinely. You were like, "Oh, I'd love to be considered for Madge," and we were like, "Katie, I'm not. We're not going to make you work for it. I <laughs> like, wrote, you got what it. do I have to do to be considered for Madge?" I think we were like, literally, just said. extend any bit of interest. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah. That's awesome. Okay, next. I, I did also want to hear that. I think it's episode three where. Um, um, Madge and Hampton improvise their cover story. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's <laughs> yeah. Just to hear that put together. In yeah. Drunkenly putting together that. Yeah. That was fun. Great. Once we cracked that Hampton liked to play dress up, it really opened up a lot of doors <laughs> for us. Um, 
This, I, I this, love is, this, this is a great question. question. It's an easy answer. Who in the cast and crew do you think would most likely be able to solve an actual mystery? So not just who's here right now. Anyone in the entire cast, whether they're I here or not. I don't know if I can say the one that I think. You right. can say, I, I, I think the person you're thinking. Can I say the other one? You yeah. I think you can say the other one because he's been on the show. Rob, the narrator. Yeah. 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 He would definitely, in a heartbeat. Rob, who, who is our Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm allowed to say. I know we did the episode He's 10. I feel like it's still Holmes a secret. And people know it. <laughs> yeah. It's been a secret for so long that our narrator is also Sherlock Holmes. I'm like but trained. Yeah, no, people know now. Yeah. Rob. Yeah. Rob or Sean. Yeah. Rob or Sean. Great answers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you. Who are you looking at? It's I'm not looking at Lauren. I'm looking at Lauren. Sorry. Lauren would, Lauren would be the most likely to solve a mystery. That's not yeah, true. We, we play the Sherlock Holmes consulting detective games, like which is like a kind of choose your own adventure murder mystery kind of a game. We play those almost every week. Lauren is very good at them, so much better than me. And and you you just like have mystery in your bones. That's good you know? training for writing this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. in that we get mad that Sherlock Holmes beats us every single fucking time we play that game. Right, we're uh, reaching maximum amount of times we can say that fucker's name on this podcast. <laughs> we, like, we got three more max. I would like to uh, I would like to put in a vote for Sean, Sean Fouch, who plays Archie, as well. All I right. think that he could do it. It's yeah. two votes for Sean. I, All right, is he going to win the circle? What's I, going on? I, I'd have to, I, I don't know Sean well enough, but I'd have to say that Lauren would be my vote as well. Stop. Just knowing how well the script actually puts all of this stuff together and also just knowing that it's not me. Like, I couldn't solve the mystery and I read the script all the way through to the end and I still had to go back and be like... That's because you read some of the drafts that I wrote where the mystery didn't make sense. I'm not the kind of person who tries to solve a mystery while I'm reading it. I'm just like, neat. Lay it out for me. I... uh, it's just I'm I'm just along for the ride, but um, yeah, I think Lauren's brain works that way. <laughs> Chris, you got to break this tie. Yeah. I think I'd got to go with Rob. Oh wow! No! <laughs> two for Rob, two for Sean, two also, for Lauren. A two. Our actor that plays Sherlock Holmes. Come on. <laughs> just okay. Now we only have two left. You just said it again. Yeah, you just said it again. <laughs> I know, I know. And you know what? It was worth it. It was fucking worth it. <laughs> All right. <That's laughs> for good. that fucker to tear him down, he's fired. Uh, this this is a question that comes knowing some of the lore of our of our show and some of James's many financial ventures. Well, and also the ending of and our the show. ending of the show. How long until Fox and Stallions start their first phonograph powered podcast? <laughs> oh, it's in the works. <laughs> What's it called? Talking on wax. <laughs> Waxing poetic. Waxing poetic. Oh, waxing poetic. oh my that's god. Good. Yeah. Oh wow. Fuck, that's good. I do think James cuz if you look at all of James's ideas, they're all actually successful ideas. He invested yeah. in ping pong, the phonograph and toilet paper. Yeah, He's a smart man. Today. Very ahead of his time. So he would invent the podcast, I fully believe. Maybe he does in season two. Who's to say? <laughs> I don't know. We Maybe some... Archie starts his little cozy baking podcast. Who's Clickety to say? Clack. Yeah. I, I would love that for him. But yeah, I love, yeah, no. Yeah, so I'd say within, uh, probably within three months, I would say. <laughs> it's not, Distribution's a little tricky <laughs> in this time period, but yeah. he has the hustle yeah. needed. Just door-to-door delivery of wax cylinders. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's a subscription service. A little street urchin just brings it to your door and is like, "New episode." The Baker Street Irregulars just run around delivering it. Yeah, it's 
like Netflix for podcasts. Yeah. Get them in the mail. <laughs> Have you downloaded the Herald app? <laughs> Somebody stands in your living room and shouts a tale. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, how long? Uh, that was that one. That was that question. You almost Great. said the same question I almost said again. the same question. Great. Um, th- so this is a question for Jeremy. Okay. Who has been in Hampton's life longer? James or Ambrosius? I, what I hesitate to answer about these questions is isn't sometimes not knowing is more fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. True. I, I have this feeling also knowing uh, Lewin, our co-star. <laughs> uh, I have this feeling that Ambrosius, Ambrosius uh, has also just always been that old. Yes. <laughs> I don't think... Hampton has known Ambrosius as anything but an ancient cat. Perhaps Ambrosius has actually lived in the apartment longer than James or Hampton. uh, Like, we got the apartment, the cat was already living there. Cat cat included. Yes. Uh, I think that is a correct impulse. That is what I also believe. (laughs) He's always been there. We still keep the bed in there. So I think that the technical answer is James, just because I don't think Ambrosius has ever been anything but an old, old, old feline. Yeah, I think there's it's a one-off episode. The first night in the apartment, they're having a great time. They think it's haunted. They keep hearing all these spooky sounds. Turns out it's just an old-ass cat. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, James has been in his life longer only in the amount of time it took for them to find an apartment. Yes. Yeah. Because as we know, he met James pretty much the second after right. he got to London. Bright lights, big city. <laughs> yeah. Stepped into the street, immediately met him. But he's known Madge longer than either of them. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, all right, Lauren, you want to ask this next one? Okay, great. This is a- another question. Uh, it says, do any of the characters know how to play a musical instrument? Oh, God, not Madge. That would take so much patience and... <laughs> what, what do you think you know she I mean? would like if learn? her parents forced her to learn one instrument oh, what do you probably think they the would piano her? yeah it's always um, the piano it's always the piano where they get you or the um, victrola yeah it's just something she... awful uh but she would not be <laughs> she would not practice no ever, or have any, I... or, or want you know she would rather be doing anything else yeah. than something that she would i do think in like the modern day if she got like some drums Oh yeah, well, probably, I mean, something you could really yeah. release with, yeah. I don't think she'd be good at it, but I do think she'd, yeah. she'd care either. Do it, like yeah. Yeah, Madge Madge could be Modge? a bon- Madge could be a bongo queen. Yeah, you know, <laughs> play the triangle. She like stomp. I think she's a big stomp fan. Yeah, big stomp head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. I would imagine that James at some point was taught the violin. And that makes so much sense. And he either he's either kept up with it and doesn't care to tell anybody, or he just completely forgot everything, and the, and it's gone from the recesses of his mind. It's been replaced in the mind palace. And said never again. Yeah. I was gonna say, do you think he tells people if he doesn't remember it? Does he like? It's like me on my resume where it's like, yeah, I played viola. It could be a very, yeah, it could be a very <laughs> shameful time in his life. He may have been. <laughs> yeah. I do think his that he at some point he must have invested in some sort of new musical instrument that is very easy to play. A slide whistle. Yeah, he's like, ah, <laughs> so- I invented in, I invented the slide whistle. <laughs> And it's actually, it requires a lot of skill, if you think about it. And, like, he's trying to convince people that it's... 
Yeah. Our cat's making crazy noises in the background. Lou's mad we're not asking him any questions. <laughs> I guess he's we got like, that other question wrong. He's like, well, Ambrosius actually plays the flute. <laughs> it's like he's a young cat. Beautifully. Yeah. Beauti- yeah. Honestly, beautifully. And then Jeremy, I, do you think Hampton plays any instruments? Do you think he ever tried to play the violin to be like Sherlock Holmes? I, I, I think what he probably tried to play to be like Sherlock Holmes is the double bass. Uh, because it's the same twice as tall as he is yes because he's too short to do it it's the same I actually did used to play the bass uh, but it's the same because I I started playing the violin when I was a kid but I wasn't fast enough on the strings and they were like oh yeah the bass is the same uh, uh, strings and fingering you just have all the rhythm parts and so I I think Hampton maybe tried because it's like Sherlock Holmes but bigger and just failed miserably (laughs) Yeah, and by the way, that question was from user at fangirl underscore KG. Thank you so much for your question. Kilogram? What do you think the KG stands for? I don't know. Karen Gillen. for them to know. Karen Gillen. Maybe? Kevin Garnett. Guardians one of the Galaxy Volume 3. <laughs> oh, we got to talk about it afterwards. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I want to. Um, Amazing. All right. What is everyone's favorite line? On the show. <laughs> I just listened to it. Okay, yeah. What is everyone's it's, favorite line? What's everyone's line favorite line on the show? It's my favorite line reading. <laughs> I should say. That is valid. It is um, how in the... I can't even try to do it. It's how in the pit bin are we supposed to know? <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy. I've listened to it, just that line, like 40 or 50 times. So That is also the answer to a later question about what is the nichest re- reference in this entire show. There's like a question later on that asks, what is, what is the most niche like reference you have in there. And that, that is that line because it is a reference to a BBC yeah. radio show called Bleak Expectations, <laughs> which is one Apparently. of the funniest things I've ever fucking heard. It's amazing. And the lead character's name is Pip Bin and he uh, invented the bin, as yeah. in the trash can. Um, it's one of the greatest I do. Greatest I do also ever. like the line, um, I don't know, 624, but not the way I say it. I don't like the line reading that I gave. On oh, that line. I love oh, the line reading. Oh, I wouldn't have chosen that take if I didn't like it, Katie. There were other takes. I know. I don't think I gave you any good ones. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone else? It, I think it's epitomized by uh, by Katie's version of "Hello, Sarah." Um, but just any time, <laughs> any time that Madge hits on Sarah in the least subtle way possible, it's amazing. <laughs> it's pretty great. I yeah. There's the, uh, Katie has a line reading in episode eight, the, uh, when she's trying to kind of get Hampton to realize that he's got his head up his own ass. And it's the, um, it's, oh my God, it's you, you twat. I'm talking about you. Mm. And it's, there's a character on Mythic Quest that you sound exactly (laughs) like, and it's just stuck in my fucking brain. That's another one that I would have liked another try at. No, 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 Katie, because it was perfect. And I, I also, there's a laugh that Jeremy does in Oh, God, I just listened nine. to that, too. The, like, I'm trying to distract you laugh that he does. What? And what? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because that's, th- that's I told so Jeremy funny. this literally yesterday. That is three separate takes <laughs> worth of laughs that I just put back to back. <laughs> I just took the laughs from all three takes, put them back to back, and was like, that's it. It's genius. Yeah, there's at the risk of of killing the fun vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's as we said in episode eight, we do have a little bit more of a of a mm-hmm. sincere emotional turn in there. And I, one of my favorite lines and one of my favorite line readings, twenty girl lines, and one of Chris's line readings is the like, uh, 
Archie, I think I messed up. I just yeah, thought that was yeah. like, it's such a heartbreaking line reading and it really, oh, yeah. Yeah. it breaks my heart. But then I also will say a lot of, a lot of my impulses as a writer for like being really verbose and really kind of just go going as maximalist as possible is all imbued in Tommy's dialogue as Crimea. <laughs> and hearing that dialogue come to life was was a great joy I, for me. I think so too, because in the last Sherlock Holmes play I did, sorry, that's one more reference down. Um, that's one Tommy, more time we can say his name. Tommy played the Moriarty character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so we had finished recording this and then I went into rehearsal with Tommy and had just heard <laughs> that he was playing uh, Crimea. We also this. had no and idea he yeah, was in that play. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was, the first time I met Tommy, I walked right up to him and I was like, you're Moriarty. He goes, I know. I'm like, no, but you're Crimea too. And the other thing, it's the same thing. <laughs> Crimea wishes he was Moriarty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say that was a that was an interesting thing. I did an acting contract with Tommy like four, three or four years ago. And the reason that Tommy's always been somebody I've wanted to work with, besides him just being like incredible at what he does and the nicest human being, is we did a D&D campaign and he did his Crimea voice <laughs> as a character that he was playing. And I just always remembered, I was like, that Tommy Maloof has got a really good douchey British accent. Yeah. <laughs> we got to use that in something. Um, I was I love unprepared it. for that final episode. The full mustache, twirly, like evil genius off the rails. Uh, it was a joy to listen to. And those pauses. God, yeah, the one, the long pause. It's And then it's the, the giant explosion of the like... Like, God, this is just what parents said. May they rest in peace. Is just, yeah, he just went into our home studio at our apartment and just, just rattled them all lost off. his fucking mind. It was great. Yeah. It was fantastic. He's a genius. I also think, I also think Stallion in the bathtub doing his little yep. the tobacco song. Yeah. cigarette song yeah. is. It's basically genius. every line in that episode is great. Uh, that, that bathtub scene, that has to be my favorite scene of the of all of Fox and Stallion just because it's it it's at his lowest point and it's written so well and there was so much there was so much richness to you know delve into and Ian you mentioned the line where he admits to Archie that he made a mistake and I thought that was absolutely pivotal to James's story and to his arc throughout the season and you know he really he really hadn't changed much up to that point he'd just been the sort of you know, he's the guy who gets through it without trying too hard, and he did it, and and it's unfulfilling. And I felt I felt that that was so real, and I really wanted to honor that. Uh, if I were to pick like my favorite line, just the the I mean, there was definitely a line that I absolutely had to prepare myself for to get through without laughing was whenever James is trying to be undercover, <laughs> and he just has is just but the. I'm George. George. <laughs> he just doesn't have the skill for it. He just does. It's not there. I love it. It was so difficult to do that in in scene because we were often recording all those together and mm-hmm. just having to, having to really stifle the laughter of God. I am so incompetent at this. It was so precious to be able to record all those scenes together, but it was also. Very challenging sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I want to. If we can, I'd love yeah. to talk about that a little bit because one of the things. Uh, yeah, our next our next question, I actually think, is my answer for that was probably about what you're talking about. It's, it's what, if anything, would you change about the first season? And I think that, I, if possible, I would just record 
everything in person. Yeah. I think that's what I what I would do. And I, I think it was so great for this series. You were the one who really pushed for like, let's get back in the studio. Let's like have people together. Let's like, we'll be able to riff easier. We'll be able to come up with new stuff easier. There'll be less of a time crunch. And I, I think that you made the 100% right call. On yeah, that. we did, we, you know, we did a shit ton of COVID tests and we, we, you know, made it work. And we also had like, fun fact, we had Jeremy for, I think, I think you recorded this whole season in nine days, Jeremy. Something like that. Something like that. Because because Jeremy and I were on a we're on an acting <laughs> tour out in Utah, and then we came back, and you found out that you had you had gotten the summer out in Utah, and you had to leave like nine days after we got back. Yeah. So it was also partially just like okay, really fast and furious. Let's get these three in a room together and just fucking knock these out. Um, and it was really fast and furious, and and I you know it was very important because I think you know none of the three of you. I think knew each other that in depth before this, which is also well. Chris and I did I a maybe, show together yeah. a few years ago. And we're both ensemble members of Life. Yeah, Night. but I think Jeremy but specifically I'd never met Jeremy didn't before. Know. Yeah, uh, no, Katie so. and I never met each other. And then uh, Chris and I uh, probably a couple of times for um, for Shakespeare stuff had crossed paths, yeah, but I think so. Yeah, so we felt like it was important that we that we get y'all. We did a few like zoom calls where we just sort of talked about the characters and about their history and then we threw y'all in a studio together and, and tried to do as much in chronological order as humanly possible and i'm really excited to, to kind of continue that in season two as much as as much as is absolutely possible because we were also recording in a very very tiny little makeshift studio that had with like two microphones shoved <laughs> in we, we recorded in a, a box office of a storefront theater so like a very very small space yeah and so we're very excited to get y'all in a in a, more consistently in a studio where you can have your own microphone and you can breathe a little bit more. Um, so I think that's that's the only thing I would really change. I love how it came together. Yeah. Anything else I would change about the first season? No, nothing. It was perfect and I have no notes for myself. Uh, <laughs> I, no, I, I think that there's some stuff, obviously. There's some, I'm, I'm sure that there's some jokes that are not going to age well in like six months, but it's it's we had, we had a lot of fun and I, I was really happy with the work that we all did and so i i don't i wouldn't regret i don't regret anything about the process yeah i got nothing for this question yeah yeah, yeah. whoever was trying to get us with this question <laughs> not a gotcha that was, from, that was from amc who is very lovely lovely fan of the show no very that's very nice thank very, you very, very much. sweet person thank you so much for that question the reason I, I i paused was because the way the question looked like i briefly looked at it was before the what is everyone's favorite line in the show and then it says parentheses amc i thought it says what is everyone's favorite show on amc oh better call Saul. yeah, yeah and i was gonna be like yeah. oh it's interesting i haven't seen gangs of london i've heard it's great but like you know we're all, i would have so. been like is interview with the vampire on amc it is it is then yeah it's interview with the vampire it's so good fucking awesome fucking, i don't i'm not gonna sidebar but it's Quite it's good. not better than Better Call Saul. No, it's very, yeah, they're attempting that. very different things. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, Giancarlo Esposito barely <laughs> turns into a vampire on Better Call Saul. <laughs> but he doesn't uh, not. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, next question. What do you think the Fox and Stallion crew would be like in modern times? I assume by modern times they mean the Charlie Chaplin film Modern Times, <laughs> in which case I would say that they would be hilarious in that movie. And they that's be- the nichest resume that's ever been on the show. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. I appreciate it. <laughs> You're crushing uh, it. Does anybody have a, have a take on this? How would they be like in modern times? Uh, that's an interesting one. I think uh, the only thing that's leaping to mind 
is Seinfeld, which almost isn't even modern anymore. <laughs> it's such an old show, but um, that I, I very, I, I, for whatever reason, I very much tie Madge and um, Elaine together in my yes. head. Um, very, very big Seinfeld energy on Madge. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I love that. Yeah, I think she would feel very seen. I think James would have to be like. There's an influencer like sort yeah, of parallel God. you could make to yeah. James. Or that James has just gotten really good at like promoting other people's work and stuff like that. Like the like he's just a renaissance man that has mm-hmm. no real pet career path because he's doing a little bit of everything. Yeah. Right. You know? He's a he's a he's an independent investor. He can do whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's been he's, on Shark Tank yeah, on, eight yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. I think he's one of the people on yeah he's the shark he's a shark yeah yeah anybody else have struggled there's also we have another question from a separate person asking if the characters lived in modern times what kind of music would they listen to so i'd say that if either one of these you would like to answer Mm. then go for it i cannot answer that one because i don't listen to modern music and i don't think madge would either i'll say when i when i was doing a lot of writing Mm -hmm. i listened to a lot of this is so dumb and embarrassing. I listened Andrew to a Black lot Weber. of... Yeah, it was all <laughs> Starlight Express and Love Never Dies. It's just the... It's the D-listers. No, um, when I was writing uh, a lot of this, I was listening to a lot of British music. So it's like I tried to stick to like British bands or... Um, like so, it was a lot of a, a lot of Arctic Monkeys was being listened to. A lot of Blur was being listened to. A lot of Slow Tie was being listened to, and like Little Sims and uh, like British rap weirdly became very big to to listening to to get into the mode for this. The Daft Punk album that had Get Lucky on it was listened to a bunch that was while writing so this. So much of the list of you listening to that. <laughs> I'm trying to think because you and I had very different like musical touchstones. I was like, I don't yeah. know. Yours was a lot of pub rock. Mine was a lot of like the Fratellis. Yeah. Was a lot of my touchstone for for this show and is still like a big touchstone for my show. But like, yeah, no, I think a lot of like Wolfpack too, weirdly. I don't know. Yeah. Just a lot of like yeah. chill, like pub pub rock and like a little bit of R&B. But yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I don't, Hampton probably doesn't listen to music. I, He's like, I'm above it. It, it, it's it I'm, nothing's pinging for me with him nothing uh uh immediately music wise when it comes to like uh what would he be like in the in the modern day uh I, I had a realization actually i hadn't thought of this until you were just talking about friends and tv shows and a characterization that i might have stolen a lot of hampton from is the tv uh the recent tv adaptation of dirk gently's holistic detective agency oh, a show that was yeah. too beautiful to live but um yeah but I think Dirk Gently might have a bit of modern day Hampton mm-hmm. in him. Yeah. Uh, That's a good call. I also think there's a little bit of, uh, if you watch Only Murders in the Building, I think there's a little bit of Martin Short's character of Oliver in yes. him. Yes. Yeah. I think he also would probably, I, th- I think Hampton is the most likely to have a podcast in the modern day. <laughs> that, like, that, frankly, like five people are listening to. Uh, despite his, his, uh, um, uh, his distrust of the technology in the season... I, I do feel mm-hmm. that uh, when he gets figures out how much he gets to talk, uh, he's going to come around yeah. to James' idea pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think ultimately, like, if he gives it a shot, he's going to realize it's exactly what he wants. And and I think that, again, no one listens to it, but I do think he's he has, like, big citizen detective energy. Like, if you yeah. also, if you watch, like, the new season of Yellow Jackets, Elijah Wood has a character on that. 
that also I think is is very similar to the energy. Yeah. I'm trying to think of just music stuff like for Hampton, these characters. I think Hampton it's, just like I think it's just not even on his radar. Yeah, it's and it's not on you know who's radar either. So I think that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> I think You're maybe right. he'd put on classical music because he thinks he's supposed to. But something like cold and mathematical. Oh, um, I also think like yeah, he saw this study that's like oh you you do like the, all of those bullshit studies where it's like we had a bunch of students like study while listening to Beethoven yes. or study while listening to hip hop, and God. it was like. Beethoven won, and he was like, "Well, it's just Beethoven forever. I can't listen to any other music, or I will fall behind." That's it. That feels yeah. very him no. to me. Students are so stupid. I feel like he listens to a lot of podcasts too. That he's just like, "I have to be learning. That's I can't it. be listening true recreationally." Crime, true crime podcast. True crime podcast. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. listening. He's listening to like you know people's my, pharmacy. He's listening to a lot criminal, of NPR, criminal. A lot of my favorite murder. He's got those episodes memorized. Yeah. I think he'd need something even drier. I think he's like he's going full like you know radio lab. He thought Night Vale was nonfiction for the first two seasons. <laughs> oh, buddy. Yeah. Oh. And then James, I think, is like he's just in like I think he's just locked into what's popular. I think, I think he's. I think yeah. he could be. I, well, on the show, he's definitely into opera. Um, and I feel like just if he were to, if you took James and put him in the modern day uh, with, uh, you know, this, the same kind of things that he's doing, I think that he's just, I think that he's curious and is like, he, he probably has little niche tastes that nobody really knows. Like he, he really loves uh, this like chill wave or, you know, you know, he's into like, oh, I found this this group when I was on vacation in uh in Tahiti and they I listened to their bongos all the time. That's what I relate you know, like that kind of stuff. He started the Gregorian chant wave of the nineties. Yeah, he has these rich tastes that he's like plucked from all his travels and what he <laughs> knows and loves and yeah. I think definitely he's the one that is most excited for his Spotify wrapped at the end of the year. Like he's the one that's just like, I got, I am ready. But then he immediately moves on. He's like, I listened to like yeah. chill wave Peruvian flute music once. How come it's saying that Taylor Swift is my most listened to artist? Because he pro- cause she probably is. She probably is. <laughs> um, next question. Ooh, this is a good this, one. This is Kate. This is one's just this for one's Katie. for Katie. Oh. What would the characters D and D classes be? <laughs> All of them? Oh. Just yours. We'll go with just yours. We'll start with just yours. You know, it's funny. It's a class I I would never play, but I think Madge is the fighter. She's the put upon, um, always following the crazy ideas of the bard and the sorcerer and the wizard and the other people who are so showy and stuff. Um, but, But she still has a high charisma. Now, this could be influenced by the fact that I have never not pictured Gwendolyn Christie uh, playing Madge when I have been recording mm-hmm. or reading this at all, and, and she's tall. What she can was, I say? She was very much the uh, the, uh, the the put upon fighter in Game of Thrones. So yeah, uh, but yeah, I don't think she has magic, and I don't think she trucks around with anything divine or primal. So she's, I think, Madge is a fighter. But I would never play a fighter in my actual D and D games. I think the trick of Hampton is that he thinks he's one class, but he's actually another. Yeah. Um, and I think that he's trying to be one one type of thing, and he's actually I not. play a, an actual D&D character that is, that is Hampton Fox. Yeah, what class is he? Yeah. It's, a, it's, from, it's not from D&D. It's from Pathfinder. We're not going to get into that discussion right now, but it's an <laughs> archetype of the bard that is called the archivist. And so instead of like, um, whereas normal bards will sing for inspiration to give 
their allies' bonuses to hit and stuff like that. She lectures them about what they're fighting so that they get bonuses to save against their special abilities and stuff like that. She is she's she's Evelyn from the from the mummy and I think she's the closest thing I've seen to to Hampton. That does feel very Hampton. She, they, yeah, she has an ability tracks. called pedantic belaborment. <laughs> where she basically put a creature to sleep by talking to them. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Um Yeah, he probably thinks he's a wizard, but is that? Yeah. 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 What about James? Any idea, Chris? I'm n- I don't really play D&D, so I'm not too familiar with all the classes. Uh, oh, cool. If I were... <laughs> I'm so cool, guys. You, just... <laughs> you were cast this way for a reason, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> James is just reggae Jean Page from the D&D movie. <laughs> it's, it's... That's a paladin. Yeah, yeah. he's a paladin. He's a full-on paladin. Yeah, he's a cool paladin. Or he's a drow. He's just a cool dark elf. Like Yeah. With like a rogue. Yeah. Yeah, rogue. I, I feel like a rogue because I feel like he does. He like would also have like rogue. basic yeah. magic. Like I feel like he would. Lots of sleight of hand bullshit. Yeah. 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 Yes. Okay. I yeah. like where mm-hmm. this is going. Yeah. You see all the fun you can have when you play D&D, Chris? Yeah, why aren't we, all, <laughs> why aren't we playing D&D right now? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's your other podcast. <laughs> you <laughs> have is... an entire other podcast for that, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> we have the party. Oh, God. All yeah, right. I love that. What are some things... I love this question. This is a great question. And this... We're saying SH's name in this, but this doesn't count towards... We only have one Someone else time. said this in the question. So we say, what are some things that the Fox and Stallion team can do better than Holmes and Watson? What are some things that you can do better than that? Hide things in bustles. <laughs> have bustles, that is period. Fair. That is fair. I mean, situationally, yeah, we don't uh, know what they care what they about do. human beings. How about that? <laughs> Damn, shots fired! <laughs> you played Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. How do you think I know? That's how she knows. <laughs> I once screamed out in rehearsal, "I'm not here to be nice. I'm here to play Sherlock." <laughs> That's a great. I should put that put that on a T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Some things that they can do better. I could answer this, but I also think oh, that would. We don't want to tip we, our hands. We don't want to tip our hands because I also think we talk about this. Ooh, is it season American season accents? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's probably Ameri- yeah. The, uh, we did do a uh, when we hit a thousand followers on Tumblr, we uh, we held a poll um, for one fact about Sherlock Holmes that we would canonize in season two in our version of Sherlock Holmes, and that was one of the options that Katie rallied extremely hard for. <laughs> hard is for that uh, is that Sherlock Holmes cannot do an American accent? <laughs> that was more personal. It did not win, I will say. Drat. Which is lame. R.I.P. Yeah. R.I.P. I think we can probably mix a better drink. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 100%. Sure. Yeah, you guys can party more and better and healthier than they can. Yeah. yeah. For yeah. all of your drinking, at least you're not like on, on horse tranquilizers. Yeah. <laughs> I think across the, the three of them, better work-life balance. Yeah, because sure. we're drinking together. We're not, it's when, when... That guy does drugs. He's just doing them alone. It's not sad. I do think yeah. we sometimes tip that work-life balance heavily into life. <laughs> I, I'd rather have that. I'd rather have a tip yeah. over into life. Great one. But yeah, this is yeah, this is very much a question that I think we are uh, looking to answer in the future. So I uh, will not say too much more about that. But I, I do tiptoe around it. I think that 
our crew is maybe a little bit better about talking about their feelings. You think? I think they got there. I think they're they're there at the 100%. end of season one. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, right. Great and question. And on a lighter note. Great question. <laughs> from Nico with two Ks. What would be everyone's favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate, not toffee. <laughs> oh. Be like, I think James is a lemon sherbet kind of guy. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you would. Something cool and refreshing and weirdly healthy. That makes yeah. sense. Oh, God, I hate him. It's birthday cake. <laughs> oh, buddy. Oh, um, man. Oh, so McMurphy. McMurphy has never had ice cream before. Oh, oh buddy. And so when he discovers it, he God, goes fucking crazy. so much more to McMurphy than, than I've ever imagined. But, but <laughs> cotton candy would be his favorite. <laughs> Lauren, what about Sarah? Vanilla. What? I think she would be. I think she. No, I think. No. No, no, no. Because I actually have been coming around to vanilla as a flavor. Because it's actually quite good. It's actually better than chocolate. It's my favorite flavor, but it's. It's better than chocolate. I think that she would be one where she would be. I think she would be very defensive of vanilla. And be like, no, no, no. You think it's ordinary. And yet. Because technically it is more expensive to make. It is a little more luxurious. I think she would appreciate more that it's like. You're the talking, work that goes into making You're it. talking French vanilla. Yeah, I'm talking like really nice fucking vanilla. Like the actual, where you can see like the flakes of the vanilla beans in in the ice cream. It's it's so smooth and it's so rich and it really does make you appreciate just like the foundation of ice cream. It's not just throwing a bunch of bullshit on top of it. It's like, no, we are celebrating the art of making ice cream. Where did Sarah That's get the money for good French vanilla ice cream? Well, I'm just saying that maybe at the end of this season, James fucking owes her something. And then maybe he should fucking pony up and buy her fucking ice cream. Start a business together, man. I want to I wanna go back to the part where you said that vanilla is better than chocolate. It is. Yeah, it, it is. is. Not to Madge, but... but I did not always think that, but now I do. I do agree. Jeremy, Chris, come on. I mean, I can't say that I agree, but... I'm also not going to tear down that choice. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. As an ice cream flavor, I think maybe you can do more with it. Mm -hmm. Like you put more stuff in it as a base. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like chocolate, it's like Rocky Road. That's like your go-to. Yeah, but we're not talking about Rocky Road. We're talking about plain. We are talking about plain ice cream. Hold on, hold on. Chris, point, go. Well, so now, so you can do a lot of stuff with chocolate, too. Let's not not be so limited here. We're talking about its essence. We're talking about this is the only thing. You are getting a pure scoop of either plain vanilla ice cream or plain chocolate ice cream. But the same way that you're campaigning to have super fancy French vanilla ice cream with flakes of real vanilla bean in there, you can get like a really good dark chocolate ice cream that's very rich and creamy. It's still not better than vanilla. It's still not. It's not the same. But is your average vanilla going to be better than your average chocolate? Yes. No. Yeah. I I would say, yeah. I would say average chocolate kind of tastes like nothing. Yeah. It tastes like chocolate. What the fuck are you talking about? It kind of tastes like nothing. It doesn't, nods to chocolate. Katie gets it. Katie fucking gets it. It's true. We always got the Neapolitan box ice cream. No and one said strawberry. No one's writing hard for strawberry. strawberry. No one's okay. writing hard so for strawberry. I will say that Hainsworth makes a brilliant homemade strawberry ice cream that is so good. 
but you can't it's too much like you, it's overwhelming you can't have it yeah. every day like, this is the longest answer for any of the questions so far. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad we're getting to the bottom of something. I'm reconsidering our engagement. There's a lot of stuff happening here. Well, this oh. audience doesn't know that we're engaged. Well, they do now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We're going to have two desserts then. <laughs> All right. For the actors. Oh, yeah. This oh, is this fun. is a good one. Your favorite character that isn't yours. You're making me choose between my puppy and my kitten. <laughs> yeah, you're so, making you choose between your chocolate and your vanilla. What are you going to go with? It could be someone who's not even it's here. Whoever's talking, who's not me. Archie is probably my favorite character that's not mine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He's, I really like his, uh, you know, that it's just a really great side character. Somebody who is deeply involved in the plot and uh, is invested, but is is somewhat running counter to how the main story is going. Um, but he's crucial. He's absolutely crucial to the story and you need him there. Um, and I, Sean just does such a great job with it. Um, mm-hmm. bringing, yeah. bringing it to life. And I just think it's so, he's so sweet and so wonderful. Yeah. That really, that character really like when we did the subsequent drafts after casting Sean, I think really kind of, Came to came, life. Came to life when we when we knew that it was his voice that was doing it. And I, I also just think, like, I look forward to season two and we can give him a little more uh, silly stuff to do because I think he he carried so much of the emotional weight of the first season that yeah. I'm just like, let's get let's get this dude in here and, and have some shenanigans happen. Yeah. Oh, George Kensington. George, George Kensington. Kensington. <laughs> yes. Um, R.I.P. George. I would say, uh, uh, honestly, t- two of my favorites that are not have not been mentioned yet. One is Sazerac, Tina uh, Tina Munoz Pandya's character of uh, Fiorina oh, yeah. Sazerac, who started off as one thing, and then just the more when Tina was in the booth, we just kept throwing weirder and weirder <laughs> alt lines oh, at my her. God. She was hard to record with too. Yeah, and she just like ran with it, and it was great. And the other is the commissioner who Hainsworth plays, because with yeah, it was just so much fun. And that character, that episode is one of my favorites. And just some of those lines are so ridiculous, and Hainsworth delivers them so straight. And we went and it was just like we're just gonna do the hot fuzz scene from the beginning of Hot Fuzz. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, great, and and the performance is fantastic. I love that character. Uh, I'd give another shout out to uh, Tommy as Crimea. Just was totally unprepared for what for what that was going to sound like in the end. Across the board, loved being in the room uh, with everyone who's on this recording, and and just wish for the opportunity to be actually in the room and play with more people because it yeah it's so much fun. We're excited to to get y'all in the room with a few more people that uh. We will not disclose. <laughs> yeah. And I also just want to like give a shout out to like our mini, you know, our detective and across the street. I think also like Rob is a very exciting uh, performer to have in that role. Yeah. That like purely because of we've known him for so long and know what he can do, and you've only seen a very small sliver of it, and uh, we're very excited to to do that. And I I I love that everyone in this cast has the ability to just kind of like know exactly what we're going for and to go big and and hit these huge comedic moments and know exactly the full like theatrical extent of it but still grounded in such humanity Mm. um to make something like like episode eight work which i think like with 
with, with a different group of people may not have worked as well um, and felt like it's consistent of a journey. So I'm, I'm really, really happy that we have the people that we do. Yeah. Um, the next question, were there, uh, this kind of goes back, we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but if there's any more, were there any moments in your performance or in the writing of the show, I guess for us, Lauren, mm -hmm. that were inspired by niche references that most listeners would not pick up on? Um, so I'll just say that um, part of my feeling with how James fit into the, specifically the dynamic between James uh, Hampton and Madge, um, I really felt like uh, I remember hearing a quote from uh, Richard Schiff, who played Toby Ziegler on the West Wing. Uh, he mentions being seeing the ensemble of actors around him and kind of realizing that he needs to play a different everybody's an orchestra everybody is playing a different instrument and his instrument needs to be different than everybody else's and he said that uh toby is the oboe mm. and i there's something about that that really strikes me as kind of right for james <laughs> he's he's there and he's there for crucial moments uh and is underscoring the whole thing has some pop-up funny moments but for the most part is really just there and supportive and you know is is doing his best to make sure that everybody is you know doing what they want to do mm -hmm. um, and i think that's that was just one of the linchpins for me not really anything it didn't really dictate anything that i did with the character specifically i wasn't trying to sneak in any toby references or anything but that was just an approach that i think worked for me well, I think that kind of worked beautifully for you because yeah. I think for so much of that first <clears throat> half of the season, you're so, like, you're the one that's in the back that's kind of the stabilizing force that's on kind of a low simmer. And then in this back half of the season when it just all kind of goes off the rails, it's even funnier because you've been so, like, we talk about a lot of, like, who's leaned forward and who's leaned back on this show. And we always kind of viewed, like, Hampton is perpetually, like, leaned forward in his seat. He's leading with his head. He's running into things. And James is is in his own way sort of just leaned back and is fine and is settled and he's happy with his life or he thinks he is until, you know, one wrong sentence just fucking clicks the switch that you're like, I didn't know that was an insecurity. And now I'm spiraling, <laughs> um, which was very much how we talked about James. It's just like, I'm, I'm doing fine. And then the one thing you didn't realize was your worst fear gets confirmed. And then suddenly it's like, I'm a version of myself I've never been. So I think that that really helped sell like that <laughs> he's in a crisis in that second half. Yeah. Um, there is, I only one person has caught this so far mm. and it made me very happy. So shout out to James Ferrero who plays the man in the very first scene mm -hmm. of the show. Um, but uh, the Piccadilly purse pilcher, that's, that's who he plays, but he, um, or, or not him, but you know, he caught that the opening scene of episode five of Archie's episode in the diner is just the first scene from training day. It's just the first scene from training day. The dialogue mm. is slightly different, but even <laughs> McMurphy does the like, you have pockets, put your hands in the pockets, pull out your wallet, pay the bill, which is Denzel Washington's last line in that scene. And he says it. Uh, McMurphy gets to say it because I wanted to know what it was like to say a Denzel Washington line. And, um, <laughs> But I don't know, there was like, we were talking so much about that episode in particular, mm -hmm. and you were you were gone on a contract, 
And so it was like, all right, I'm going to give myself like a week or so to write this, the first draft of this. And so I just binged a lot of like cop move my my favorite kind of like movies about the police or movies with cops in them or tv shows about stuff and training day was so is so good and also so silly <laughs> and it was just rife for parody and it felt like it made a lot of that archie's first day would feel a lot like ethan hawk's first day in training day yeah and then you so also have that, that touchstone of like the pop culture expectations of what it's like to work in the police ver- mm-hmm. and then slowly breaking that down yeah. over the course of the episode into kind of the drudgery yeah. and the the way that it sort of breaks you down. We also have in that, yeah, we also have in that episode that McMurphy's breakfast order at the diner is Reynold Woodcock's breakfast order in <laughs> the- uh, Phantom Thread. Yeah. Um, so there's stuff like that in yeah. it. If you're, if you're into that stuff, yeah. we, we got it in there. Yeah. And then the... Then I really love that. Luckily, we all caught in the room that in episode eight when Hampton's having his breakdown. The uh, are we just supposed to wait five more years for Sherlock Holmes to fall off a fucking cliff before we get another shot? Mm-hmm. Um, the the I think the smallest like niche thing that I have had and that also only one person has caught is in the the minisode, the bonus minisode in episode ten. Uh, Holmes and Watson have the um, Watson has a moment where he asks, "Was that just like incredibly terrible?" And Holmes basically just straight up is like, yeah, it is. And that's exactly an exchange that is one of my favorite exchanges from um, the Solitary Cyclist episode of the Granada Sherlock Holmes. That's the other time that I said it, sorry. Um, series where, the where, where they're standing in the doorway and, and Watson's like gone off to the country. Holmes has sent him there to be like, you, you need just, to like... You have to come up with a new name. Okay. Uh, the detective sends him out to the country <laughs> to uh, to be like, oh, I need you to stake this out and see if this creepy shit's happening. And then Watson just absolutely biffs it um, and just doesn't do it right. And he goes back. He's like, you didn't fucking tell me how to do it right. And then and Holmes and the detective um, <laughs> is just like, you absolutely fucked it up. And Watson just goes, did I really do so incredibly badly? Holmes just turns around and says, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then just the David Burke Watson has the most crestfallen look on his face I've ever seen in my life. I love him so much. So that was my little my little reference for uh for that particular series that I I love them so much. Yeah, but we we part of our writing style is very um kind of very like mosaic built. Like it's there's a lot of references to media or uh, mm-hmm. or you know books television shows music stuff like that mm-hmm. that we that we love and mm-hmm. trying to put it through whatever the lens mm-hmm. is um but we still try to sneak in quite a few just to make things kind of fun for us yeah but the niche thing is the is the bleak expectations <laughs> bbc radio show joke yeah so. um next question i can't read that so can you read that oh yeah this is uh something that we were talking about <laughs> just the other day jeremy and i one-on-one um this person says as a cat-loving, aromantic, asexual person myself, Hampton uh, being aromantic, asexual, which we have talked about a couple times, really means a lot to me. How did that aspect of his character come about while you were developing him? Uh, was it always part of his character, or was it a choice that you realized along the way? We've talked about this a little bit on Tumblr, and a lot of people have been um, kind of reaching out to us um, about kind of some of the um, intimations and kind of like talking around the fact that Hampton is is asexual. Um, and we talked about it a little bit on our Tumblr, but this is this is kind of the first time we've talked about it. Um, and I think that was something that in, a, in an earlier version of the script was not necessarily a part of him. It was yeah. specifically before we had cast Jeremy. Um, Literally when Lauren and I were like first throwing around the idea of the mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Yeah. It was a completely kind of a completely different person. And then 
Jeremy came in for the readings and we did a few more passes on the character. And I remember it was like one exchange in episode seven that I think Jeremy and I were talking about while we were on tour is that um, that exchange where, where Madge is, is like ogling the girl's ankles. Yes. And is, and is like, you know, what, you were thinking it to Hampton. And he's like, I wasn't, I really wasn't. And I think Jeremy, it was you being like, I actually really don't don't think that. Yeah, I mean- I don't think he was thinking that. You, you left it open. You may have already been thinking along those lines at that point that uh, that Hampton was not going to have a register uh, for that sort of thing. Um, but I, I remember you did at least uh, in the reading ask me about it and you're like, what do you think of that line? And I said, yeah, I think he's, cause it's, it's uh, the, I wasn't too Madge and then back to Sarah, I really wasn't. Um, and working on the timing of that and being like, um, yeah, no, I think he's totally honest. Uh, yeah, he's not overcompensating. He really is, just doesn't care. I, I think it's something that um, doesn't matter him, doesn't register to him, uh, is wonderful to play with as a blind spot. The other line uh, that I loved is uh, 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 along those lines as a blind spot is James's, uh, oh, I, I, wouldn't it be great if they had a place like this, but for men? <laughs> yeah. And you're uh, like, who'd go? Who'd go? Men. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Um, so it's not that, not that Hampton's totally unaware of other people's, um, romantic and sexual urges, but they are not something that registers for him and not the first thing he thinks of when deducing other things either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's something that was, that, that felt pretty organic as a development once, once we started kind of going through revision drafts of the character. It's also... You know, something that a lot of versions of Sherlock Holmes, I think, have, have like tiptoed around kind of that being a part of his identity. And so it felt like that was something that we wanted, that we saw an opportunity to explore and have actually integrate into the character um, mm -hmm. from kind of the beginning and have that be something that he doesn't feel any particular angst about and doesn't feel like, you know, doesn't feel like there's anything wrong with him. And also because I've talked many times that like the central love story I think of the show is like at least this first season is Hampton and Madge. Like... And that is not romantic and not sexual, but like is is a love and, and is a love story. And that like there's just because Hampton yeah. doesn't have like the word for for that doesn't mean that I think he isn't aware of it or that like any of his friends really have a problem with it. Yeah. And it just felt like an opportunity when also when we have so many different types of of queer characters in this show that like it just felt like it kind of developed organically with what we were doing. Yeah, we were pretty dedicated early on to the fact that we the characters and their and their sexualities or or and or you know gender assignments anything like that like it all came about very organically and all felt like it served the story and felt like it served a theme that we were interested in of of the people who were living during these time periods that may be interested in the same things but weren't getting the same exposure as the other people as mm -hmm. the as the the mm -hmm. consulting detective in Watson for instance mm -hmm. but um I love I, how we're just letting ourselves say Watson however many times we fucking want. We're giving this guy a break. Watson's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> Seems like a good dude. Uh, but yeah, but we we were also very, very adamant about the fact that we were like, we, you know, we never wanted any of their personal uh, struggle or conflict to stem from their identities. That these are all characters that are proud of who they are, proud of where they come from, and, and that those things help empower them, like, to... to 
solve the mystery or do whatever, become the best versions of themselves. But also at worst, you know, in Madge's case, it's like whatever Madge's sexual assignment was or, or, or identity was going to be, it's like Madge was still going to try and fuck somebody in the coat room. That's just who Madge is. It doesn't matter what the gender of that person is. Like, so we, we just really, we were more into, um, in, into again, just trying to figure everything through that thesis that, that Madge eloquently put, puts out in episode eight of like, these stories haven't made room for us. So like, fuck the stories. Yeah. I think that's not even like about to go on kind of a complete tangent. Like that line isn't maybe necessarily about like, you know, the subtext of those stories or the potential of those stories containing like queerness or anything like that. I think it's more about just like, we're waiting for those those stories that have been around forever to represent ourselves. Like when, why don't we just fucking forge our own path and yeah, do that? And so it was important story. that like, that Hampton also, frankly, be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And I think it felt really natural to have that be a part of his identity. Yeah. Yeah. As for the cat-loving part, that that came very easily. I grew up with two <laughs> cats, Jean-Claude and Cosette. Um, Although you do have a dog right now that you uh, are living with. I live with my roommate's dog's name is Watson, and it is mm-hmm. named after the detective's friend. <laughs> <laughs> so we have two actors here who have played Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> and one who has a dog named after Watson. I'm basically Mrs. Hudson in this arrangement. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's hot, apparently, so good for you. <laughs> uh, uh, great. Next question. This is for Katie. What does Madge like best about herself? We got a lot of Madge fans. A lot of Ma- Madge army rise up. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Her height. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's unavoidable. Hell yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think she's, yeah, I love that people have just been like, no, like, there's very few, like, appearance things that I'm like, no, this is fact. Yeah. Because I firmly believe, like, no, the great thing about audio is, like, a different version of this character lives in every person's mind, and isn't that cool? But I'm like, but if you try fucking try to tell me Madge isn't tall, I <laughs> I will be like, no, we wrote this show, she's fucking tall. Sit down. Yeah, yeah which is yeah. which is fun being in the studio and being by far the shortest person of the three <laughs> in this group. Uh, but yeah, I think, I, I know it sounds shallow, but it isn't. It's an unavoidable thing she owns. Mm-hmm. And it's meaningful to her. And her pointy elbows. Yeah, she says very not Tell her not to fuck I will say, head. as a tall person, it does take a while. Chris, I wonder if you feel this way. It does take a little bit to own that height there is like there is a shame to get over yeah i'm still working on it you know Same. it's like there you there, so, you know you don't fit through certain doorways you can't walk under trees i try and you know move around you know too fast i get new scrapes on my elbows and my hands and things you know just <laughs> being aware I, of your body in space is hard and it's <laughs> it's harder when you're tall i'm everybody's least favorite person at a concert um oh yeah ian's got a whole complex about it i have a whole yeah it's genuinely i have a whole complex i've been apologizing it's like for you're my the height. best person for that situation but you're also the the guiltiest yeah <laughs> uh okay great which we're in the home stretch yeah we're, we're in the home stretch, stretch now we're which in fast and furious character is most likely to have their whole day ruined by a horoscope this is from talfrin what a great question great question so this reminds me of um this reminds me of rounders when they say when you're at a table and you're looking around at everyone and you can't figure out who the patsy is. 
<laughs> it must be you. So I, I feel my answer to this question is probably Madge. <laughs> Katie, I love your answer. And I love even more the fact that you referenced one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I don't know. I think it might, my vote might be James because... <laughs> There's an argument there. Because yeah. he'd try to ignore it. He'd be like, I don't know, believe in that. Yeah. And then as things yeah. got worse. It would worse, just and... nag at him. Exactly. The, the denial in the back of your brain. It's not that. It's not that. It's not that. It's not that. Until it, yeah. until the dam breaks. I think he would. Yeah. I feel like James just like, I don't want to see the horoscope. <laughs> Tell me what it says. <laughs> I, I do. I do. I'm going to need to see it. I'm going to need to see it. What is this bullshit? Oh, this. Oh, it's going to come true, isn't it? I don't know if McMurphy's day would be ruined by his horoscope, but I think he would be shocked at how accurate they are. Let's not forget <laughs> the maids. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's true, that's true. They would 100% have their time <laughs> ruined by a horoscope. And also Jonathan Crimea, 100%. Oh, yeah. He would get the paper shut down. Yeah, he, he would, would have, have it edited. A... He would have a retraction yeah. printed yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. on the horoscope. I think I am going to start needing character star signs soon, though. I'll, I'll give them to you. Yeah. Um, do any of James, Madge, and Archie have celebrity crushes? I feel like Archie would massively have the hots for John Watson. <laughs> and Hampton, probably platonically, aspires to be Oscar Wilde. I don't know who asked this question, but this is great. <laughs> this is great. Uh, I think Madge is too busy having crushes on uh, capable and or unavailable real people. <laughs> I don't think yeah. I don't think she would bother. She has crushes on like the girl that's making her coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Ma- Madge gets real turned on by what's her name? Madame Dufarge from yeah. Tale of Two Cities. She's <laughs> she's like real into her. She's like that that, that chick is so yeah, sew me a sweater and start my revolution, baby. <laughs> I don't think that James has a celebrity crush because he knows all of them and he knows that they're not that impressive. <laughs> what was James's outfit at the Met Gala this year? Oh, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I'm trying to think I'm trying to think now of just my favorite looks from the Met Gala this year now. I'm trying to... Oh, Janelle Monet's was great. Pusha T had a great one too. Actually, I didn't see. Uh, Pusha T had one that was like uh, set. It's like piano keys looking kind of thing on one leg, and then on the opposite torso, and then on the opposite arm. Uh, and I thought that was a really cool look. Yeah, it's that, or it's Brian Tyree Henry's look, like all of like the yes. the, the oh, feathered. Man. Yeah, that was awesome. I feel like Harvey uh-huh. Guillen's outfit, that like beautiful pink like pea coat. Yeah, that was also pretty great. It was like a floor length tail on it it was great but he's not rocking just a simple tuxedo he understands the assignment he understands that men are fucking pathetic if they show up to the met gala in just a fucking regular tux and they should be ashamed and kicked out immediately yeah yeah don't let me fucking catch you in a regular suit men get out of the met gala yeah pierce brosnan we're coming for you fuck out i don't want a tuxedo what is this tuesday yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm kidding pierce brosnan i like you in a lot of things uh that's great. I can't answer this question because I have very strong feelings that will probably be answered in the show. Yeah. The next question. How many? <laughs> this is a question. Let's ask you guys. How, how many seasons are you going for? The more, the better. All of them. Yeah. yeah. All of them. Just, how many is all? Till I die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great answer. Great answer. 
Yeah, <laughs> until you change the the name away from Fox and Stallion, if you take Stallion out, then I suppose yeah, I guess I, my time is up. Fox. It's show. Yeah, uh, it's just no, Fox and Fox McMurphy. News. Oh lord, oh lord. Yeah, that's, yeah, that might be where I sign off. Uh, but uh, until then, I'm on board. Oh goodness. Well, Ian, would you like to answer the question? Yeah, why not? Um, how many seasons are we gonna go for? Do we want to get super specific with that? I don't know. You had the questions ahead of time. Do you want to answer? All right. Yeah, sure. As of right now, this may change. As of right now, we have a five-season plan. Yeah. So that's the short answer. It, can be, it could be, with what we have planned, it could be as few as four, but or, it could potentially be more. Yeah. yeah. But we have, right now, it's like, we probably are going to say. Well, are you going to kill us at the end? No! Okay. 100%. No, spin us off. Yeah, yeah. Give us spin-off series. There we go. <laughs> It's a spin-off, but it's still just the three of us. It's just the three of us still. We'll, we'll just retitle yeah. the show. Yeah. They just get new names. You know? It's honestly, it's just the three of you going back and re-recording from the first season, but the three of you are playing every character, yeah. and you're going to have to divvy up those roles. There is going to be yeah. a spin-off, but it's just called Ambrosius. Quest- uh, like exclamation mark. Yeah. No, question mark. Yeah, Ambrosius question mark. I have Ambrosius version. Ambrosius version. We want want the title of the show to reflect the audience's reaction to the news of the show. (laughs) Yeah, there are there are there are a few assurances I'll make with like none of you are dying and Ambrosius is not dying. Like there we go, you're good. Yeah. So it could be McMurphy question mark unclear. (laughs) McMurphy, we'll see. We'll see if he earns his place in the ensemble. Uh, he's got that's such a rich story. backstory now I feel like you have to pay that <laughs> off this is why I love D&D too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anything is canon as long as you say it <laughs> in, a, yeah. in a voice yeah, yeah. yeah. okay Oh, this is, uh, uh, this is just going to be a prediction I want to throw out for Chris uh, how many times do you think James is going to be abducted in season 2 <laughs> oh I hope at least once more <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, hopefully James has learned a lesson or two and will not be so easily caught. Uh, however, that scene was just too good. Yeah. To not. You, there were two scenes. There were two. That. That's right. Yes. We got to Yeah. We got to have more. Yeah. He just okay. makes it look cool and hot, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's. I always imagine that when we would cut away to the scenes of James being abducted, even when he's like in the stocks at the end, or when he's like uh, tied to the chair, tied to the chair, like with 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 Oscar. I always imagine the scene in Casino Royale with James with uh, <laughs> Daniel Craig tied to the chair, getting his like ass whipped by. Because <laughs> I always feel like it is important to remember that like James is quite hot. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like no, he's making it work. He's in distress, but somehow. It's still working. Yeah. A little bit of um, uh, Ewan McGregor tied to the post in Attack of the yeah. Clones. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're like, oh, You're like, I hope this now. doesn't awaken anything in me. Sure. <laughs> I would say my answer to how many times will James be abducted in season two is as many times as it takes <laughs> for the plot. <laughs> Enough times. Enough. All right. We are in the home stretch. Home I, love, stretch. I love this next question. Yeah, this is one we gave you advance notice about. Actors. If you could pitch one future storyline or bit or piece of backstory for your character to the creators, what would it be? 
We are here. We're here. We're listening. We and can we are, veto. We are in the process of writing you season are, two. You are not allowed to pitch something that we've already told you happens in season two. Because there are <laughs> things that we have told you about season two. We have basically soft pitched you all on your season two arcs. You're not allowed to pitch anything that you know happens. Okay, here's, here's mine for James. Uh, James is... He he should not have told anybody this, uh, but I think that he is secretly a natural and accomplished, amazing horse rider. <laughs> I think that he I think that it just comes naturally to him, and he he the, I think it doesn't even he doesn't even know how he does it. He just can get on a horse and look magnificent as fuck and do anything that he wants. Wow, he's like Toshiro Mifune. Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh my god. If you hear a clickety clack, clickety clack, this is me canonizing this immediately. <laughs> yes. He's a stallion that's riding a stallion. Yes. Oh no. Uh, anyone else? I would like to see Madge get an advice column in the <gasps> Times or the Standard, I don't know which one. Perhaps both syndicated. <laughs> yeah. I think um that's what I would like to see. Happen. I think that's what the world needs. Obviously. Yeah. Clearly. Look what she did for Hampton. Are you there, Madge? It's me, person. <laughs> yeah. Fill in the blank. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, I see uh, you thinking. I see you cooking. I'm, I'm thinking of ideas. None of them are coming out great in my brain. I'm not a writer. This is why I don't do this. <laughs> um, the, the, best, <laughs> the best predicament that I could think of for Hampton, I don't know how you do this in an audio drama, would be for him to lose his voice for a little bit. Oh like, my God, no! A complete buddy. inability to communicate, but I don't know what you want. I don't want to write myself Please out of the show. So that, so that Chris and I can interpret Maybe he's just hoarse for a bit. Hampton Maybe he's just... an entire episode. Honestly, As I we love try that. to oh, guess man. through charades what he's trying to say, please write that. If the if the listeners w- could see our Ian's face right now, yeah, we both just a, had a light bulb moment face. of like, ah, oh. wow, that's cool. Now I'm just thinking of how you would do that here. Yeah, I have no idea. That's not my job. <laughs> no, it's mine now. Jesus. Huh. That's a great idea. The yeah. other two is, were fine, but that one. <laughs> that is, one is. There's I'm something kidding. Those there. are all great. There's all something great. there. All right. That's really. We good. only have. Two final questions for everyone yeah. tonight. And then we are going to say goodbye until the next time that we hear y'all. Um, so I would like to ask all of you, what piece of advice would you give your character going into next season? If you could. You have to answer this too. I have to answer this too? Sarah. Oh, God. And you have to answer it as McMurphy. Easy. <laughs> Do you want to take your McMurphy answer while they they ponder on it? Sure. Uh, I would tell McMurphy, honestly, dog, no notes. Keep doing what you're doing. That's not true. <laughs> you know that's not true. No, I would tell McMurphy to that he doesn't need to worry about what other people think about him as much. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. I would tell Sarah, let your rich friends send you on a vacation, girl. You deserve it. <laughs> James could probably use a little empathy training. <laughs> mm. I think I'd tell Madge um, that wherever she is, 
she's probably earned it. Mm, Whoa. Wow. wow. That is deep. Wow. Also much needed. Shit. That's a swift kick in the back of the pants. Wow. And okay. also something that'll pick me up. Wow. <laughs> when I'm down. Yeah. Damn. All right. Jeremy, follow I, that one up. I think I would tell Hampton, I would try to encourage any hobby, any downtime. Like, so, like, what's on your reading lists, bud? How can you be still for a bit? Um, just to encourage some casual relaxation and, and find some time for himself that's not frenzied and running around. To be quiet with his thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's a good idea. I don't think he wants to be with his thoughts. Well, neither do I. Would I give this advice to myself too? Yeah, but there's a lot of crossover here. <laughs> I heard Katie say, don't drink so much. Maybe, maybe just for all of them. Maybe just, just don't. Drink just a don't. little bit less. Maybe don't. Yeah. That maybe sounds don't. like a horrible idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Never. I was say, so many great shenanigans though come from <laughs> you guys drinking too much. Um, all right. And then finally, this is from me. This is because I kind of want to just to end on a little bit of a looking forward note. Yeah, the note on the doc says, saving the best for last, my question. That's not what it what? says. <laughs> I think as, as I, I respect our fans. <laughs> as I mentioned, we've kind of um we've kind of soft pitched basically most of season two to y'all and a lot of your character arcs and some of the bits that we've been uh pitching to you. And so we would just ask if there's anything that you would like to tease for season two that you are excited. Um, please be vague, but that's something that you think you are excited to uh, work on with your character if you have anything. Mm-hmm. And don't be mad if the reaction from the public when they listen to this is negative. <laughs> if we change that in the scripts, <laughs> this is not us trying to kind of take the temperature of the culture. Of our friends who listen to the show. Oh, yeah, for sure. Anyway, continue. I'm going to go first because mine's not going to be very satisfying, but I'm looking forward to working with someone that I'm excited to work with. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. yeah Great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm excited for uh, Hampton's attempts at public relations. <laughs> <laughs> Solid tease. Yeah, sure. for sure. For sure. Yeah, I think it's going to go super well. I'm just excited to know what uh, James's next entrepreneurial opportunity. <laughs> oh, it's a doozy. His investment opportunity. It's, it's, certainly, it's certainly a step up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some might say framing device worthy, but... Uh... <laughs> it might be central to the plot even, you might say. Oh boy. It it may hit new heights even. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am excited for. Hmm, trying to think of how how to put this in a in a coy way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited for our characters to be equally uh, bolstered up and knocked down several pegs at the same time, and often by the same things. Yes. <laughs> I think yeah, I think there is a there is a certain question that we had of you know, what happens if you get what you want but it's horrible, yeah, <laughs> and I think that's always a fun question and I'm very excited for some new cast members that we've got. Yeah, we've got some fun people that and playing are be more specifically in this particular world potentially. So yeah, yeah. 
but yeah, James's James's entrepreneurial ventures are uh, <laughs> are something to be quite excited about. He's um, a genius. Yeah. Now we'll go around, and if anybody has anything that they would like to plug, yeah, other projects, other you've got projects going you're on. working on that are available, or uh, anything you want. Um, we are gonna if you're in the Midwest area this summer. Uh, Chris and Lauren and myself will all be at the Michigan Shakespeare Festival. Yeah. So if you want to come see some of us act some Shakespeare, mm-hmm. yeah. check yeah. that out. I um I directed an episode of uh, Unwell. Uh, it's so good. For, for their final season, I was their assistant director. And um, I'm really, really proud of that. It's a fantastic <clears> show that's <throat> wrapping up now. So it's a really good time to jump on. Um, I also guest wrote an episode of uh, Where the Stars Fell for their, their season that's airing right now, uh, which was super fun. It's a body swap episode. So it gets it's sort of just like a monster of the week silliness type of episode, and it's a it's a great show. So I'm very excited about that. And then we're just working on season two of this. Yep. Anybody else, Katie? I know you have another show. Yeah, I'm a full time cast member on Dark Nexus, which is a Pathfinder Woo! actual play podcast and immersive audio experience where a group of longtime friends attempt to survive unspeakable horrors. <laughs> In Paizo's uh, Strange Eons Weird Horror Adventure Path. Really fun. Hey. New episodes every Monday. We just started Act 2. And who is your, your DM? Our D, our, I'm sorry, it's a GM. It's a GM in, in Pathfinder and Starfinder. Oh, Jesus Christ, Lauren. <laughs> you know it's what a, I our meant. Our very own Rob Kozlarek, who is the narrator in Sherlock Holmes on our podcast. Yeah. 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 Also, that show is fucked up, Katie. It is, I know. You yeah. should hear yeah. our um, Patreon-only uh, actual play of of uh, the Silent Titans adventure path, which I'm pretty sure you two are familiar with. We did do that. We did a mini prototype. It is so fucking weird, Uh, but it's a great deal of fun to play. Ian got all of us basically killed within one turn. Yeah, that's what happened. That was fun. That was really cool of him. My character, uh, this is a spoiler, but I just turned into a flock of birds. (laughs) Chill. Yeah. How many bird? How many is the flocks? It's this a flock. more than you can count. It's so many birds. So I, flew, yeah, I turned into a <laughs> flock of birds and flew away. Got a new character. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I've got. Um, I'm coming up on. I think it's the next episode that's going to air yeah. of uh, Where the Stars Fell. The not, second episode of their season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not the episode that Lauren worked on, uh, but uh, it was a blast. Uh, I play an idiot. <laughs> Surprise, surprise. And, uh, <laughs> but with a different accent this time. <laughs> but with, but with a, a different accent, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Chris? Uh, just the like you said before, the Michigan Shakespeare Festival. I'll be up there this summer. Uh, along with uh, yeah, Ian, Lauren, uh, Sean, who played Archie, will also yeah. be there. Uh, yeah. Rob, our narrator, is one of the directors. So, yeah, it's going to be – there's quite a reunion. Going yeah, on a lot there. of us are going to be there. It's shocking how we uh, how we all got to know each other and, uh, and how we're still working together. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did that happen exactly? Friendship and proximity, two of my favorite ingredients. This is uh, yeah, that's that's about it for us on our end. Lauren, do you have anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up? You know what? I don't. We will be having another part of this Q and A that's just Ian and I talking about writer stuff that'll be coming up probably a week after this one comes out, and keep an eye out for that and. We will be doing a crossover with Where the Stars Fell, which we're looking at. Um, it's very fun. Kind of like early fall release on that one, potentially. And then we will be 
Very silly script. Probably crowdfunding season two of this show and then getting it to you as soon as possible. We're writing it right now. Yep, absolutely. So please feel free to check us out on all of our socials at 224BBaker. That is on Instagram, on Tumblr, and on Twitter. Yep. Uh, You can check us out there. We also have a website, 224BBaker.com. Yep, and you can also check out us as well as many other incredible shows on the Fable and Folly Network. Yeah. Please feel free to go over there. Check out some really, really amazing new podcasts if you want that. Uh, and that's about it. Thank you very much for listening, folks. We're going to be back soon with so many more episodes with these lovely human beings here. Thank you. And as always, fox on. <laughs> oh, God. I need, we need a sign off. What's the sign off? It's too late. That's already it. It's fox on now. Fox on. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. The influence of Freemasonry is undeniable, but who are these mysterious apron-wearing craftsmen, and what are they up to? For centuries, hater-ass conspiracy theorists have attempted to answer these questions. Two Flat Earthers Kidnap a Freemason, starring Zane Schacht as Randy Dunning, Lauren Grace Thompson as Gail Kruger, and Matthew Woodcock as Walter Clay. I just want to go on the record right now and say that I, Randy Dunning, am 100% anti-gravity. Like, subscribe, and share your way to the truth when two flat earthers kidnap a Freemason.